So our topic this week, from Genesis chapter 2, how to have a happy marriage, right? Or how to survive marriage, however you want to look at it. Uh, and so this is coming on the tails of last week where we looked at how to, uh, how to choose the right spouse. And so this kind of continues that theme. And this would not just be for married uh, people. Uh, there are applications that would certainly apply to the dating process. Basically, the things that we do in marriage, we should be doing in the dating process, most of it, not all of it. And, uh, and we put, learn those principles right and do those principles right in our lives even before we uh, start dating. Then we'll be able to continue them in dating and then continue them into marriage. So we're going to look at some principles today that will be helpful in every aspect of our lives and, and in all of our lives. And uh, also for those who maybe have previously been married, uh, whether a widow, widower, or divorced, and as we look at some of the principles today, and you see there were some things I could have done better in that marriage, uh, that is good because then the Holy Spirit can use that to convict, and then we can confess those and repent of those and, and allow it to be changed because if God does have another spouse for you in the future, you want those areas cleansed and changed and so that God can live a new life in you to change you, so don't bring it into the next relationship. Uh, because uh, our human nature, even when we know better, we will continue to do the same thing over and over again unless God's Spirit comes and breaks that cycle and changes us. And so we need to allow His Spirit to work upon our hearts and minds. <clears throat> so we'll be looking again at, at several principles, but before we get into that, we looked at last week how to... Uh, uh, Never date the, never marry the wrong person, and we saw uh, the answers to that. And if you missed that service and would like to watch that service, you can go to shalomadventure.com, and in the search, just type in uh, right spouse or something like that, and it'll bring it up there for you, and you'll be able to see that. Uh, but we looked at uh, how to never marry the right person. So how there's, I really can think of only one way to never have trouble in marriage. What do you think is the only way? Never marry. That's right. Don't get married. That's really the only way because the Bible specifically says in 1 Corinthians 7, 28, if you marry, you will have trouble, right? And God's word is right. It is always right. And so uh, if you get married, you're going to have trouble. That's just par for the course, right? So you should be expecting that. And, uh, and really anywhere in life, right? In life, we will have trouble. Again, these principles apply to our whole life. There's, there's people who, who um, give their hearts to the Lord and they think, now everything's going to go wonderful. God's going to answer all my prayers. I'm never going to have any more financial problems. I'm never going to have any health problems. I'm never going to have anyone hate me. God is going to protect me. No, my car is never going to break down. I'll never have any plumbing problems. Everything is going to go great. You know, and <laughs> it doesn't, right? right? Until the next moment, right? <laughs> Satan hits us over the side of the head, right? So there are troubles in this world because we are not in heaven yet, right? If you haven't figured that out yet, we're not in heaven yet, right? This, is, this planet is still, the devil is still the prince of this world. Yes, God is king, but the devil is prince of this world and he is controlling uh, a lot of aspects of it in a lot of people's hearts and minds. And so also in marriage, so a lot of people enter into marriage thinking this is going to be wonderful, everything's going to be terrific, you know, and after the honeymoon stage wears off and then there's some troubles, they go, uh-oh, I think I married the wrong one, right? How do I get stuck with this person? And then uh, it can lead to divorce, but to, when we're expecting and knowing there's going to be troubles, and then we apply those principles we're going to be looking at tonight from the Bible, 
uh, from Genesis chapter 2 as well as some other areas in the Bible, will have the tools to cope when those troubles take place, whether in life or in marriage, and be able to handle it and write it out. And God can work it for his honor and glory. Now, a lot of people want to know why the divorce rate in Israel is so low. And there's a picture here illustrating why the divorce rate in Israel is so low. And so, uh, you know, that... Uh, <laughs> you can try that in your marriage, right? So, uh, but carrying an AK-47 around with you uh, is not necessarily <laughs> the, uh, the only way to, uh, to keep the divorce rate low. There are biblical principles that will help to keep the divorce rate low in your life, right? It's down to zero by God's grace in your life. Okay, so let's look at some of these principles starting in Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. The Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. The Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam, and he slept, and he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in its place. Then the rib which the Lord God had taken from man, he made into a woman. And he brought her to the man, and Adam said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. So some of the things we'll be looking at today is how to become a helper, how to be comparable, and we looked at some of those things last week, but a little bit more now in context of marriage and even dating, and to be Part of the ribs, right? He took him from one of the ribs. We'll be looking at that. And how to be one, how to be one, one flesh, bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. And another point here, it says that God had taken from the man the rib and he made a woman. Now, it would have been a whole lot easier if he's taking a rib out of a man to just make another man. Right? To just clone the rib and make it just like Adam. But that's not what God did. He didn't make another Adam just like Adam. He didn't clone him. He made someone different than Adam. A woman, in a lot of ways, different than Adam. And different mind, different personality. And God brings the two together and blends it together. As some people say, right, it was Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve, right? And, uh, and so biblically, there is no place for homosexuality in the Bible. Now, God loves homosexuals. God loves everybody. Right? So I'm not saying a lot. God loves everybody. And whatever this problem is, whatever the sin is, whether it's selfishness or pride or gossip or anger or adultery uh, or lust or promiscuity or pornography or sex before marriage, it's all still sin. And God still loves us all, but he does not accept the sin and he does not approve of the sin, and he's able to change us, again, regardless of whether it's selfishness or pride or uh, carnal lusts. It doesn't matter. And some people say, well, they were born that way. And I don't know if they were or not. That's a moot issue. The issue is God can change us. Because right? what if the what if the uh, pyromaniac says, I was born this way, and maybe he was. Maybe he's been lighting matches since he was two years old. They're going to say, oh, okay, well, that's just how it is. My house could be next. You know, no, you know. They've got to say, I'm sorry, that is not acceptable in society, and this is not acceptable according to God's word. And so God's going to have to change you. You're going to have to surrender that pyromaniac 
uh, tendency over to the Lord and allow him to cleanse it and change you, right? There were, there were children who were born uh, with alcohol syndrome, right? I forget exactly what it's called, right? Yeah. Fetal alcohol syndrome because their parents were drinking, the mother was drinking. So you just say, okay, well, he's an alcoholic. Well, that's how he's going to be. Put it in the bottle. Give him a, you know, wow. give him a good, you know, make some nice uh, thing in there uh, with his formula. No, you, you wean him off it, you get him off it, you deliver him from it. Right? And what if he was born a heroin addict? Right? You know? So it doesn't matter. Whatever we were born, we were all born carnal. That's the bottom line. We all born with sin, and it's what we all need to be born again. Whatever the situation is. And, and so this is certainly one of the areas. But again, we see biblically and throughout the Bible, that type of lifestyle is not acceptable, and God's grace is able to cleanse, forgive, transform, change. And that's the power, again, for every aspect of our lives. Okay, so let's get into some of the principles. Principle number one is pray together. Matthew 18, verse 19, I say to you that if, any, if, two, that if two of you agree on earth concerning anything that they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. What a wonderful promise. If you can find somebody on earth to agree with you, God's going to answer the prayer if it's according to his will. That is a wonderful, powerful, powerful promise. Now, why is that? Why can't God just answer one person's prayer? He wants this demonstration of unity. right? He wants people, humanity, and how much more so in a married life to have a prayer partner but even before marriage, or outside of marriage, to have somebody that you can pray with, that you can come in agreement with on a topic, on an issue, and pray together in one heart, in one mind, as one flesh together under God. And that is a beautiful experience, to be able to pray together. And so marriages should have prayer together. Everyone should have prayer together. We're praying, everyone should have a prayer life. Again, even before marriage, developing a prayer life, a daily prayer life even a morning and evening prayer life, and even throughout the day, scattered throughout the day, but certainly set times when you pray, and then God brings a, a spouse to you, then there should be family prayer in addition to that, not in replacement of personal prayer, but in addition to, and then also congregational worship time and prayer. And so there's, there's three aspects, and we need to have all three if we're in a Marriage relationship, and even if you're not in a right marriage relationship, you should have personal prayer, but you should find a prayer partner. And in the congregation, it's a good place to find a prayer partner, women with women, men with men, someone that you meet with, maybe over the phone or however way, once a week or whenever, and pray together so that whatever you agree upon will be answered and you'll be able to pray for each other and build up a, a prayer friendship. And again, that's wonderful and very powerful to have and to... And to uh, to make use of. That's a wonderful gift that God has given to us. And again, certainly in the dating process should be the time there should be prayer together. A good portion of it should be praying together. And then God will help us through the troubles we're experiencing if we're praying together on a daily basis. As the Bible says, don't let the sun go down on your anger, right? And so if you're praying together in the morning and the evening, then you'll be able to confess and give over and allow the Holy Spirit to show what is wrong and give you humility and to be able to come back together. Another principle is to communicate. Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. A man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, 
and they shall become one flesh. And becoming one flesh is uh, more than physically, it's mentally and emotionally and heart and mind, and that takes place under knowing each other, communicating with each other, getting to know each other. And again, that needs to be a very important part of the dating process, uh, to know each other. That's one of the reasons why uh, I recommend uh, sex or intimacy before marriage. You can spend time talking and getting to know each other on a logical basis, uh, not the emotional time. And so same in marriage, communication needs to be a, the major part of a married life. And communicating, as you've no doubt heard before, right? We've got creators with one mouth, two ears, right? So most of the time listening and understanding what the other person is communicating, not thinking before what you're going to say to them and why you're going to get your point across, but communicating one-on-one, -on -one, listening, understanding, empathizing, sympathizing, uh, and getting to know each other. And again, that is a very important principle in every aspect of our life. You need to learn to communicate with your fellow workers, your neighbors, your family members, your boss, your employees, tenants, landlords. Uh, you haven't learned to communicate and get your point across. You know, if something's bothering you, you need to be able to communicate that. Uh, if you've made a mistake, to be able to communicate that. If you need help, to be able to communicate that learning communication skills. And if we haven't developed those and learned those in our everyday life, then we're not ready for dating and we're not ready for marriage, right? So it's good to practice that and learn that. By God's grace, the Holy Spirit that gives us the ability to speak before kings, as Yeshua said, don't worry what you'll say. He'll give us the ability. He'll touch our tongues and anoint us. And so uh, learning and practicing by God's grace, proper communication skills. And in Deuteronomy 24, verse 5, it says, When a man has taken a new wife, he shall not go out to war or be charged with any business. He shall be free at home one year and bring happiness to his wife. Amen. <laughs> Whom he has taken, right? And so one year off, one year vacation, no work, no war. And maybe that's why they married so many women back in those days, right? Every, one every year, and you just have to stay out of work and stay out of the war, right? But, uh, the principle is still there. It'd be great to do now. You'd have to wait till you're 67 to have enough money to take a year off of work. But, uh, but the principle is still the same. It's that first year of marriage, spending time to make the other person happy, right? And focusing on how do I make this person happy? Right? And that takes communication, knowing what makes them happy. Right? Knowing what their heart is, what their interests are, and their desires are. And so communicating, spending time together, uh, and making each other happy. That's not about making yourself happy. Right? If we enter into a friendship relationship or a, or a marriage relationship or a work partnership or whatever it is, if the goal is for that person to make you happy, it's going to be miserable because no one will be able to make you happy. No one person is going to be able to fill your love cup except God. Right? Only God is the only one. And if we're trying to get it from people, everyone in the world can demonstrate love to you and it will still not be enough. But when we're filled with God's love, it will overflow and we'll be able to give love and be able to make other people happy. And if we are making other people happy, then we will, we will be happy. And that's agape love. And if we're loving, receiving God's love and giving love, then we will be loved and we will be happy. And so that's the formula for, again, marriage and life in general. Very important.
put that into practice. Okay, enthusiastic agreement. And these things kind of go together, right? So praying and communicating and agreeing and being in agreement, they lend each other, they overlap. And not just agreement, but enthusiastic agreement. That's not compromising. I don't believe in compromising, Again, whether in marriage or in other type of settings. Because when you compromise, then nobody's happy. Right? Both sides didn't get what they wanted. Both sides gave in in some area and caved in some area. Right? And so God's not about compromising. It's about coming to enthusiastic, that both sides are enthusiastic about the agreement, the solution that they came to in their problem. And, uh, and Barbara and I, I can't think of... Uh, really hardly anything that we've ever moved forward in where we haven't first worked it through to come to enthusiastic agreement on. So just don't, don't move forward until you, you know, decide that. Right? So you might be trying to decide where you're going to go out to eat. Well, don't do anything. You, know, you might have to fast for three days until you can come to a mutual enthusiastic agreement about where you're going to go out to eat. Right? And, and so you just learn to communicate. Again, it has to take communicating listening to the other person, finding out what their real need is, not just, I want Italian food, but why do they want Italian food, right? And then trying to figure out a solution that will still make them happy and still make you really happy. And so you talk and you come up with ideas and ideas and ideas and you keep on battering ideas and throwing ideas on the table until you come up with an idea that both go, yeah, that sounds great, right? Let's do that, right? We'll go out and, um, and you're both enthusiastic about the... Uh, agreement, the solution, right? And so, and you might need some help with that, you know, and that's where good counsel is, is helpful. We talked about that. There should be counseling in our lives. Uh, uh, before marriage, before dating, during dating, and into marriage, and throughout our lives. And so you might need a counselor to help you come to agreement to understand each other and listen to each other. Those listening skills in communication of uh, hearing what they're thinking and uh, and not talking of the eyes, you know, but how you're feeling and letting each person know, being honest and open in those communication skills and then bringing that into coming to an agreement together. Not manipulating the other person, not trying to pressure the other person, but to uh, come up with ideas that the other person would be excited about. And when both sides are doing that, both will eventually will come up with an idea that the other person is excited about and they're excited about as well. And again, that should go for business partnerships, congregational decisions, friends uh, decisions, friendships, and, uh, and certainly in the dating process, and then in the marriage as well. So putting that principle into uh, place. Now, Amos chapter 3, verse 3, can two walk together unless they are agreed? <laughs> and we can't walk together. How can we be one if we're not in agreement on decisions? So... Come to agreement, enthusiastic agreement. Vitally important. And one way to come to agreement is in a spending plan. Right? That's where it really gets tested. Every one, every individual should have a spending plan, and then married couples should have a spending plan together. And uh, that's a good place to practice communication, to practice uh, coming to enthusiastic agreement. Spending plan is where you're deciding how you're going to spend the money before you spend it. Right? That's why it's called a spending plan. Some people call it a budget, uh, but I like spending plan. And so you want to make sure that there's enough coming in to match all the areas that you're planning on spending it and don't spend anything until you have the money there to spend it on. 
And so they have a whole plan, and if your needs are higher than your income, you need to find ways to bring up the income or uh, lower the needs or delay the needs until you have it. And so you, every person should have that before the marriage, before dating. Talk about that being financially whole and financially secure as well as emotionally and mentally. And then you bring that into the marriage and you blend the two together. <clears throat> and uh, and there's lots of times when Barbara and I will decide, you know, uh, whether to help someone out, give some amount, or buy some gift, or, or how much do you think this thing is worth? Should we spend this? And, and we'll, one of us will say, well, I've got a number in mind. Are you ready? you have a number in mind? And we'll say, yeah, we got a number in mind. And almost always, we're very close, if not right on, uh, to the amount that we thought that was worth or what we should do with it. And that comes from just, again, knowing each other and getting uh, to feel and having a spending plan, knowing how much is there, knowing how much can go out, and knowing where it should go out to. And so everything should be designated on uh, what you're going to uh, spend to save up to a car or a house or uh, houseware stuff and uh, food and have a budget, have it all budgeted out and planned out. Uh, a lot of people have no idea where the money went at the end of the month. And we should know. We should know. We should know beforehand where it's going. That's good countability. That's biblical principle. Could you imagine a business? Has no idea where the money is going to go or, you know, no budget, they wouldn't last long. And how much more important is a marriage than a business? How much more important uh, the whole foundation of society? One of the finance, financial problems is probably the major di divorce rate issue, arguments over finances. Come again, Barbara, I remember Barbara and I talking about before we, when we started dating, uh, one of the things we discussed was how much do you give to the Lord in tithes and offerings? And we were a perfect match. The number was right on, exact same percentage. Which made it easy. But if not, we'd be someone have to talk out and work out and come to enthusiastic agreement before you blend the two uh, incomes together. Another principle in the Bible regarding spending plans, Romans 13, 8. Owe no one anything except to love one another. And I guess I didn't read Proverbs 22, 7. The borrower is slave to the lender. Right? You don't want to be in slavery. Right? Marriage is enough of that, right? But uh, a marriage bond, it's a happy bond, hopefully a happy slavery, like being servants to the Lord, bond servants to the Lord. But you don't want to be slaves to anyone else. You don't want to be in debt to anyone else. We should run away from debt like you'd run away from a plague or something. Right? Run away from debt. Get out of debt. And if you're in debt, Get out of debt, whatever it takes. Stop whatever you're doing. Stop whatever you're spending on and find ways to quickly, as quickly as possible, get out of debt. It's slavery. It's horrible. The Bible says don't owe anyone anything. And it's hard to love when we're in debt and when we're in slavery. And so get out of debt, except maybe a mortgage, uh, only if the house is valued more than the mortgage is. You don't want to be buying something that put you upside down. Uh, and so, uh, using the word, the, the, the money that God has placed in our hands wisely by not paying interest rate and not being in debt and being behind the people. And they again bring tremendous problems into marriage. Uh, and so stay out of debt by God's grace. Love. Love is, how do we know if we're in love if we don't know what love is, right? So we need to know what love is to know whether or not we're in love. 
So love is? Love is patient, that's true. That is one of the things it is, yes? Yes, yes. But there's something, it's kind, right? Commandment keeping. There's something that has to take place before we can be kind, uh, before we can be patient, before we can be following the commandments. We have to be unselfish, but there's still something that precedes that. Trust, yes. There's still something that precedes before us trusting one another. Transparency. It takes transparency, but it needs and honesty. It needs to be something that takes place before we can be honest, before we can be transparent. What we have to be reborn without a doubt, but there's still something that takes place before that brings about that rebirth. Without, we won't be reborn. It's something that we need to do. It takes faith, and that's real close. It takes faith. In order to have faith, and God gives us a measure of faith, but to put that faith into action, we have to do something. Yes, we have to die to self, without a doubt. That's good. But there's also something that still has to happen in order for us to accept our death. In Messiah, yes, repentance, and there's still something. Love God, there's still something that has to take place in our minds, in our hearts, that precedes repentance and all this. Unselfishness, I'm going to give it to you. Ready? Okay. Love is a choice. Right? Before you can be kind, you have to choose to be kind. Right? Before you repent, you have to choose to repent. Before you can be born again, you have to choose to die to self, right? All those things take a choice on our part or they won't take place. Right? You can't be patient. You have to have a choice. And so love is a choice. God demonstrated his choice. God chose, chooses to love us. It's not because you're so great. <laughs> Believe me. <laughs> you know, that's not why he loves you. Right? Uh, he loves us because he chooses to love us. That's a choice he makes. And it's a choice we can make. Now, I'm glad that no one here said it, but I'm sure that many people, and I know most of the people in the world, think it. Love is a feeling. Love is an emotion I have inside. And that is as far from the truth as possible. Now, there can be emotions that come along when we choose to love someone, but that's a secondary effect. It is not the demonstration of love. Because emotions come and go, and if we ride with the emotions that we experience, the feelings that we have, we will be a roller coaster ride. Our marriages will be roller coaster rides. Our lives in general, if our faith is based on feeling, and a lot of people give their hearts to God and have an emotional high from that, and it's really powerful. When you know that God loves you and you're experiencing his love, it's a wonderful, wonderful, and you're seeing answers to prayer and you're having faith and you're seeing God work in your life and your life is changing and you're gaining victories, it's a great feeling. But it's not always there, right? And especially when there's troubles, and especially when the prayers are being delayed, and, and especially when you're struggling against sin, and there's trials and temptations. You can't base it on feelings, but we can know by faith and choose to believe by faith that God loves me and that I am his child, regardless of what the situation is going on, right? That he's going to work all things out together for good. Those are all choices. Faith is a choice to believe believe is a choice that we make. And so love is a choice. And so we need to choose to love one another, right? In our marriage vows, right? For better or for worse, for richer or for poorer, for sickness and in health. Those are choices that I'm going to choose to love this person even when everything is falling apart. 
Right? You can't go by feelings when they're sick and you're in poverty. And, right? uh, it takes a choice and then maintaining that choice and continuing that choice. And that really is what love is. Love is a choice, choosing to love the other person. And people say they fell in love. You don't fall in love. Right? Yeah, you fall on your face, right? Yeah. You can fall into a fatuation, and that happens all the time. And people say they fell out of love. They didn't fall out of love. They chose to stop loving that person. Now, it might be because that person was mean or because of whatever, a lot of reasons, uh, but it's still their choice. They're choosing. It's not a falling out of love. And I've heard people say, you know, after 25 years of marriage, oh, I never loved him. I never loved her, you know? Ah, look at this picture. Where'd these four kids come from? They, they fell out of the sky? You know, what, did she tie you up and lock you in a room for the last 25 years? You know, what do you mean you never loved her, right? They chose, at some point in time, to get together. They chose to marry, right? Did she forge your signature on the marriage contract? You know, it was a choice that took place, right? And so we can continue to choose for better or for worse, for richer, for poorer, and sickness and health and all other reasons, right? It's a choice. Love is a choice. And yeah, reading from 1 Corinthians 13, that many of you are quoting, love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it is not rude, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no account of wrongs, love takes no pleasure in evil, but rejoices in the truth, it bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. Right? That's right. And that's why it's a choice. And we see all of these things are choices. Right? right? All Patience is a choice. Kindness is a choice. Not envying, boasting. Those are feeling pride. Right? Not rude. Not self-seeking. That's selfish. Right? That's based on feelings. How am I feeling? How am I responding to this? How is this affecting me? Right? So love, the opposite of love is, how is it affecting me? True love is, or that's not love, right? It's uh, self-love. Right? But true love is how does this affect the other person, right? And so to be able to be patient and no pleasure in evil, right? That's a, not choosing to love, right? Love is a choice. Choosing not to uh, rejoice in their downfall and their problems or keeping record of wrongs, that's a choice. Choosing to forgive. And forgiveness is a major part of marriage, right? Because the person you're married is not perfect, <laughs> right? They're just like you. Need of God's grace, forgiveness, transformation, mercy, power to be changed. And so it takes a lot of forgiveness on one another's part. And you need that power that comes from God, realizing there's mistakes and wrongs and need to practice that and before marriage, before dating, learning to forgive others and learning to accept God's forgiveness for ourselves. Those are all choices to now keep account of wrongs, to allow it to be cleansed, to hope and endure, and never fails. All choices. So love is a choice, important thing. Love is a choice, and so we got the rib cage here, because the Bible says that uh, Genesis chapter 2, verse 21, the Lord God took one of his ribs. Now, what is the purpose of a rib? What's the purpose of the ribs, right? Actually, we look at these ribs, they're pretty amazing things, you know? Uh, it's design. We talked about Genesis chapter 1, God's design. Look at the design there. Isn't that amazing? 
the first several ribs all are attached to the sternum with cartilage. Each one has their own cartilage going forward to the sternum, except the bottom ones. These bottom ones share the same cartilage and all connect in the same place, making this kind of a V-shaped thing here. I mean, it's a very unique structure. It was kind of just happen chance. You wouldn't have even sides and, and you know, it was just thrown together and just by, uh, again, uh, chance or just duplicating, then they would all have the sternum right down in the middle and they'd all be exactly the same, but they're different even within one rib cage where the top are all connected one and these bottom. Now, do you know why that is? Why it's got that V shape there? It's so that you can get fat. You see, I mean, I mean, if your ribs went all the way down and covered your belly, you'd never, right? especially pregnancy, how would a person get pregnant if the rib cage was the same all the way down? So God has this design with this V here, right? So you can eat, you know, and, and be stuffed. But especially pregnancy. But, uh, anyway, back to what is the purpose of the rib cage? Why, why did God give us a rib cage? To protect the vital organs, especially the heart right and so by god taking a rib from adam he left an open area and left adam exposed he left his heart exposed and make him vulnerable thus it was eve's job to protect adam's heart and, and it's our yeah she failed right and so it's the Husband's job to protect the feelings and the emotions of the spouse, of the wife. And it's the wife's job to protect the heart, the feelings, the reputation of the husband. Not talking about them, not spreading stories about them, even true stories about them, not embarrassing them, caring for them, protecting them, blessing them, nurturing them, respecting one another, covering the vital organs of the heart. Right? And another thing we see with God using the rib, as opposed to taking a part of God, uh, Adam's brain, he could have taken part of his cranium and made uh, Eve, or he could have taken part of his foot and made Eve. But God took the rib so they'd be side by side. Right? Not one ruling over the other from the head, not one walking over the other from the feet, but that they would be equal together, walking arm in arm, hand in hand, rib to rib, side by side, together, unified together. Now some people say, well, the Bible says that the man is the head of the household as Yeshua is the head of the congregation. Well, how was Yeshua the head of the congregation? He left all, he sacrificed himself, he became lower than us all, uh, even down to the death, even the death of Calvary for us. And so if the man's the head, then he needs to lower himself down to the bottomless level and to serve and sacrifice himself for the family. Um, but there needs to be this unity uh, together between the two. Not a dictatorial rulership, uh, but there's differences in coming together. So again, love is a choice. And so Malachi 2, 16, the Lord God of Israel says that he hates divorce. And so it's not part of his plan. It's not what he wanted. It's certainly not there from the beginning. Yeshua gave one area where divorce would be permissible in the count of adultery, but I've seen even with adultery, uh, God able to heal the marriage even after adultery, I've seen that in many cases, and so God can't, it doesn't have to be a have to when there's adultery, 
but uh, sometimes it's too hard of a break and the person goes off and you know with someone else there's only so much the other person can do um, but it's not God's desire he hates divorce and it's amazing how many so-called biblical counselors out there will tell the couple oh you got irreconcilable differences maybe you should get divorced yeah. that is a crazy thing yeah. you know it's a stupid thing you got irreconcilable differences duh One's a man, one's a woman. Yeah, I mean, you got irreconcilable differences right there. Uh, but there really no such thing that they can't be reconciled when they are willing to love each other, put the other person first, forgive and have mercy and grace, and for a person to repent and be transformed to whatever the sin was, whether it's forgetting the birthday or anniversary or whatever it was, and learning to come together in enthusiastic agreement, communicating, and working in healing the rifts and the problems and the troubles that marriages have. And God can give victory. And that every difference can be reconciled. There's nothing that can't be worked through. And again, that's in life in general. Right? We can love others as much as possible within us. And so... God hates divorce, and so it shouldn't even be on the table. shouldn't even be discussed. Work it through until a solution, an agreed-upon, an enthusiastic agreed-upon solution takes place to whatever the difference is and difficulty is. Now, I should say, under abusive situations, you should not stay in that home. Don't stay under those circumstances. Right? Go find another place to stay with a family member, uh, with a friend, um, get your own apartment, something. Being abused is not godly. It's not part of God's plan for you to be in an abusive marriage relationship. That's not forgiveness. That's not mercy. That's codependency. And that's not healthy. And so uh, I recommend removing yourself from the abuse, whether it's physical abuse or mental abuse or even... Uh, adultery that's unrepented of. Um, and then from that safe position, go and get counseling and request and even require before you get back together that the other person get counseling as well, your spouse get counseling as well. And then don't get right back together just because they said sorry. Uh, some profession of repentance, it needs to be seen and demonstrated over a long period of time. And so then continue from those safe places, different homes, under different households, and get individual counseling, both for yourself and, the, and your spouse. Get individual counseling, and then together with godly counselors, not some counselor that's going to tell you irreconcilable differences, get divorced, but someone who will work both of you through the process of confession and repentance and before God and God's cleansing and a transformed heart. And then I recommend waiting several months, at least, if not a year, after the repentance, after the apologies, and then work on, again, you're getting your counseling, your spouse getting their counseling, and counseling together for several months, and then go through the dating process again, all over again, start from scratch. Again, staying in your safe places, separate homes, dating, going through the dating process, and then after repentance has been demonstrated, and love is being manifested, and uh, harmonious agreement is being practiced, and um, uh, 
that you're equally yoked spiritually, and then have a ceremony and a recommitment of vows before God and before friends. And then, and only then, after all that process, get back together under the same house, same rooftop. That's my recommendation. And then give love. First Peter 3, 7, Husbands, likewise, dwell with them with understanding, giving honor to the wife. Right? So according to that text, who's honoring who? The husband is honoring the wife. Now, of course, the wife needs to honor the husband as well, but we don't see this rulership type of a thing if the husband is honoring the wife. Right? So honoring, respecting one another, loving one another, giving love to the other person, putting self aside, death to self, alive in Messiah, and thus we're able to give love to the other. And there's the five love languages of how to give love, because different people receive love in different ways, and your spouse probably receives love different ways than you do, and your friends and your children and neighbors receive love differently than you do, and you want to love your neighbor, and so try and find out the way they receive love, but you can also just give love all five different ways. Uh, there's some great books uh, Gary Smalley has on that. Uh, and so gifts, giving gifts, physical gifts is an act of love. Verbal praise, not enough of that anymore. Right? Thank you. you know, please. Nice job. You look nice. You know, verbal praise. Service. Serving one another, willing to help one another. Time, spending time together, in touch, in marriage and in, in outside of marriage, appropriate touch, slap on the back, handshake, you know, uh, appropriate touch is a demonstration of love as well. So these are the five different love languages that need to be practiced and put in place. And communication is a part of those, knowing what the other person wants. And society today, we've just really, communication is absolutely horrible. We're not communicating. There's so many ways to communicate, and we're probably the worst time in history regarding communication with uh, messaging and cell phones and, and uh, lesson messages and emails and texting, and, and people don't communicate anymore. Everything's short and not sweet at all. We need to get back to the sweetnesses. Hello, you're welcome, thank you, please, sincerely, yours, you know? It's all been gone. And those are nice things to put into. Yeah, you got little pictures, right? Yeah, so give love. And be affectionate. So affection in marriage is vitally important in loving one another. And if we are, and you notice it's at the last one on the list here, or almost, I forget if it's the last one, but it's at the bottom. These other things have to be in place first. Marriage has to focus on these other things. And affection shouldn't, intimacy should not be in the dating part. These other things need to be in place. You don't need to test run it. You don't need to test drive it. You don't need to test it out. When all these other things are in place, when married couple are praying together and communicating with each other in a way of listening to each other, they're coming into enthusiastic agreement, they're choosing to love each other, they're giving love to each other, the sexual relationships will be, always be wonderful when all these other things are in place. 
if the sexual, if the marriage and the relationship is based on, on, on the sexual relationship, and then if, again, if that's the major part of the dating or even any part of the dating, then that becomes the focal point. Well, then what happens when there's times when sexual relations is not there? And whether because someone person has to travel, business or whatever, or, or sickness, or in a hospital, or distance, or there are times we're just not going to be there. Yeah. And if you couldn't get along without sex before dating, and you couldn't get along without sex during dating, then how are you going to be able to get along in the marriage relationship when there are times when there's no intimacy on that level? Right, yeah, sickness is right. That's a, very, a lot of times, different times. Yeah. And so it needs to be a part of marriage without a doubt, but not the focal point of marriage. It's not going to be the majority of the time, that's for sure. Right? And so these other things, though, are 24 7. Every all, every year throughout our marriage. Right? And to, so those things are, when those things are in place, the affection part will always be wonderful. And so keep our priorities and the order straight. And then Genesis chapter 2, 25, and they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. And so when we have our sins confessed before the Lord and uh, been cleansed by Yeshua's blood, and our record is wiped clean. And we're being filled with the Holy Spirit, and by God's grace, living righteous, holy lives. You don't have to be ashamed of anything. Right? When there's honesty in the marriage and in the relationship, we don't have to be ashamed. There'll be transparency, and there'll be unity, and there'll be love, and there'll be happiness together. Right? And that's what you want to have in that relationship, that honesty and openness the transparency. And that's good to practice in our lives before God being married to him, cleansed from sin by his grace, able to be prepared as a bride for him, pure, without spot, naked in a sense before him. And our records and mind and heart and desires and motives are all open before him. Can't hide anything from him. And so come to him and surrender all when we're surrendered to God and bring that into a friendship relationship, a business experience, certainly a marriage relationship, there will be happiness, there'll be harmony, there'll be love, and there doesn't have to be any shame. Everything will be an enthusiastic agreement, coming into agreement, listening to one another. I had a whole bunch of good uh, marriage jokes, but Barbara told me don't tell them. Right? So listening to one another, right? taking wise counsel from one another. Right? So be, uh, be wise in our relationships. In 1 Corinthians 7, verse 3, it says, Let the husband render to his wife the affection due her, and likewise also the wife to the husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Do not deprive one another except with consent for a time that you may give yourselves to fasting and prayer and come together again so that Satan does not tempt you. Now, I had this text in there, and I put this text in there after the whole list that we came up with these principles. And then after everything, I'm reviewing this and reviewing this, reviewing it, then just last minute yesterday, I saw really all those principles are right in this Bible text. Starting from the bottom, it mentions prayer. Well, that's the first thing on the, on the list, right? And except with consent, that's 
enthusiastic agreement, right? That you both come together and you both agree that you both consent together, except with consent, right? It takes two people agreeing to consent, and neither has authority over the other, right? That's equal, rib to rib, and that uh, one, and bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh, and communicating together, knowing each other, listening to each other, and then rendering to his wife. Well, rendering means you're giving. Right? So you're giving love. You're rendering to the other person. Giving to the other person. So giving love. And then I didn't underline affection, but it mentions their affection in, the, in verse 3. Right? Giving affection. So almost the whole list, basically the whole list, is right there in that one passage that has to do with marriage. And so here's... Oh, I guess before we get to that, then First Corinthians, uh, Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And chapter 2, verse 24, they became one flesh. So the image of God, Adam and Eve were created in the image of God. Adam and Eve. Not Adam only, not Eve only, but the two of them, male and female, Adam and Eve, created them in the image of God. The image of God is this balance of both, right? And there's a difference between men and women, right? Usually men is more the sterner and more the logical, and the woman is more the loving and emotional and kind and caring and merciful and tender. And, 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 and the image of God is both. Right? God has those typical male traits, and God has the typical mother traits. It says in the Bible, can a mother forget her suckling child? How much more could God? Right? So it gives that analogy. The God is like the mother who can't forget. And other places called Heavenly Father, right? And so we have these father traits and motherly traits that God has this combination of both. And that's why God brings the male and the female together to be a demonstration of God's character. And we cannot fully do that alone. We need them both parties of both aspects coming together, and then demonstrating that unity together, that oneness together. That's a miracle of God. That's why, the, why can't God answer my prayer just if I pray by myself? Why does it have to be two people praying? Because God wants to see that unity and that demonstration of unity. Unity within the family of God and the congregation and certainly in the marriage. So this is coming together because it's that unity of God. God is, we discussed that in Genesis chapter 1, that unique oneness of God, that plural oneness of God, that Elohim God. These combinations coming together as one. That's the image of God, is the unity of different parties coming together and agreeing together. That's why he doesn't want us to just be lone believers just floating around on our own. We become part, an integral part of the family of God, local congregation where the gifts and talents can be used together in harmony with other gifts and talents making up the fullness of the body, and the same in the marriage. And that's why parents need, or children rather, need, ideally a mother and a father. They're not able to get that full image of God if it's just a single parent. Now, sometimes the situations where someone dies, you know, they're stuck with it, you gotta do what you gotta do. But ideally, it needs to be a mother to show those aspects of God's tenderness and the fatherly aspects as well. So parents need that. And certainly don't need two men or two women because we won't have that image of God. First of all, it's in sin again, and it doesn't have that balance of the different traits 
that God put typically into women and typically into men. And sometimes there's a, a guy, all guys have some of the typical female traits and all women have a few of the typical male traits, you know, but that's just how it works, but that's fine. But there's still the majority of them, uh, of the traits in, in women are typical women traits and the majority in the men are typical man traits. And even if it's not the majority, it doesn't matter. Uh, God still uses the people and blends it together and makes it one. It's that fullness of God is seen in that unity coming together. And that's why God wants us to, the marriage purpose really is, uh, yeah, for procreation, but really to demonstrate God in marriage, that oneness of two coming together, two opposites coming together, and yet blending together. That's a miracle of God. That's the beauty of God and his image. He wants to shine forth in us. And again, then in a congregation and in our lives, demonstrate that body, that bride of Messiah. And so here's our list again. And so as we pray, if there's some area in there that God is convicting you that uh, in your marriage where it needs improvement, then surrender it to the Lord and let God improve that area in your marriage. Um, and if uh, it was from a previous marriage, then let God cleanse you and forgive you. If there's some areas where you didn't live up to uh, these principles and these ideals, then let God forgive you and cleanse you so it doesn't continue with you into whatever next relationship, friendship, or marriage. And, uh, and if you're not married, and there's some areas here that, again, this applies to all aspects of our lives, in every life, uh, let God work in you, change you, improve you, build you up, sanctify you, and continue to grow you in whatever area. So if one of these areas apply to you, let us pray. If you're not having regular prayer time, if you're not uh, good at communicating your needs, your wants, your issues, your hurts, your pains, may God work on that area. If uh, getting along with others, coming into enthusiastic agreement with other people, it's not a strong point, then let God work in that area of your life. If you don't have a spending plan in marriage or individually, let God put you on that, give that over to him so he can give you the fortitude and the diligence to put it down on paper or on a computer or whatever and have an actual spending plan and then put it into practice and keep with it. And if you've been concerned about people loving you, if it's all been about yourself, whether again in marriage or outside of marriage, Surrender that to the Lord so he can make you loving, that he can fill you with love and overflow it to others. Let's pray together. Our Lord and our God, ruler of the universe, we are thankful, Lord, that you love us. And there's so many beings out there that you've created, angels, seraphim, cherubim, and all other kinds of creatures, some mentioned in the Bible. I'm sure there's others that aren't even mentioned. And you have so many others to love, and yet you've chosen to love this fallen planet. You've chosen to love this sinful humanity. You've chosen to love me. You've chosen to love us. We're thankful, Lord, for that demonstration of love. Fill us with love. Give us the ability to love. Empty us of self. Remove selfishness from us. Ego from us. Cleanse us of self. Crucify us. Fill us with your spirit. Fill us with your mind. Fill us with your heart. Fill us with your love to overflowing. And may that love pour out towards others. Lord, work in our lives. 
Cleanse us from areas where we're falling short and empower us and strengthen us by your Holy Spirit. Live in us and out of us. Grow us in your grace. More fully represent you in every aspect of our lives. And for those of us here, Lord, that are having troubles in our marriage, give them grace to uh, put these principles into place and seek godly counsel and to heal the rifts in the marriage. And those of us who've had problems in previous relationships, previous marriages or other relationships, Lord, forgive and cleanse those mistakes that we've made. Deliver it out of our record and out of our lives and out of our minds and out of our hearts. And change us, transform us, that we don't continue it in the future. And so prepare each person, whatever stage of life they are, married, not married, dating, wherever we're at in our life. Lord, live your life in us and through us. In Yeshua's holy name, amen.